Well, good morning, Potter's House people. It's Pastor Adam back at you again for another edition of Bible and Brew. We're so glad that you are able to join us today. And uh, we want to have a short edition. I've got to get out the door a little bit earlier than usual today. So um, we want to... Oh, and somebody just walked in my front door. I think it's my mother. She's going to come say hello for a second, everybody. While you're getting your Bibles out, come say hello. Let me sit down. I want everybody to notice my hair. It looks like um, Gary Oldman as in the Dracula movie he did. I don't think anybody gets that reference. Oh, well, it's in a big bun. <laughs> Hi, little girl. Anyway... I brought him breakfast, too, from the kolache factory. Oh, that, that's not going to help. Oh. Thank you so much. So, anyway. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I had to give him a cat kiss with a smack. It's nice to have a mother, isn't it? <laughs> are you going to hang around? Oh, uh, sure. All right. So, we are... Looking together at the Bible today. So our first, uh, let's see where we're at. We're in 1 Kings chapter 20. Good morning. Who we got here today? We've got the Clint. We've got Dave. We've got Taya. Good, good, good. Hello, Hi, everybody. Dave. Hi, Dave. We had a great service last night. I hope everybody uh, was able to... If you weren't there, able to catch it on the replay. Oh, even Roxy wants to come study the Bible today. Okay, here we go. So we've got 1 Kings chapter 20. Uh, this is after the call of Elisha that uh, Elijah threw his mantle on him. So uh, let's start off. 1 Kings 20 verse 1. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. And he sent his messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. Sounds like a nice guy. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Uh, what, a, what a pushover this guy Ahab is. Uh, then the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they will search your house and the houses of your servants. And it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, that they will put it in their hands and take it. So the king of Israel called the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble, for he sent to me for my wives, children, my silver, and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and people said to him, Do not listen or consent. Therefore he had, he had said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, tell, uh, tell my lord the king all that you sent for to your servant. Uh, the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed. And Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful, 
for each of the people who follow me. So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. And when Ben-Hadad heard the message, he and the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. Uh, so there's a big showdown between Ahab and the Syrian army, Ben-Hadad. And, uh, well, the end of the story is basically that God helps Ahab. Which is weird, because Ahab was not a great guy. He was kind of a jerk. Uh, he was the one leading the people in idol worship. And so the question is, why? Why would God help Ahab? So uh, we have this. Uh, a man of God came and this is verse 28. Came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not the God of the valleys. Therefore I would deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And uh, so so basically God gives Ahab a little um, strategy in the middle of the battle. God helps Ahab. Uh, and, and it's like, why, why God, wouldn't you just want Ahab to be defeated? He's not a great King. He's, uh, you know, capital of, uh, of, um, being in charge of the idol worship. He's married to Jezebel. He has set himself against Elijah, the prophet. So why in the world, God, would you give him, uh, an advantage in the battle? Just let him lose, right? You would think is the natural thing. But God doesn't do that. Why do you think God would let Ahab, why would, why would God help Ahab to win in this battle when it was pretty obvious that he was on the losing side? Got a good answer for me? I have no idea other than I, <laughs> you know, thy will be done, God. <laughs> well, because the stakes of the battle are more than just Ahab, right? So if this battle was to go... Uh, south. Yes, Ahab would be defeated, but so would the rest of Israel along with him. And so because God is kind and God is merciful and God still cares about his nation, um, he, still, uh, he still helps the king even when the king is not doing a great job, right? So um, this, is, this is why we pray for our leaders. This is why even if you know, even when Obama was the president of our nation and I disagreed with a lot of the things that he said and did, I still prayed for him because uh, the fate of the United States was in his hands. And even when Donald Trump is the president, I pray for him too because, uh, because uh, all of our, uh, the, the decisions that are made at the top have an effect on everybody else, right? And so this is why we have to pray for those in authority and those in leadership because not only of the weight that they're carrying, the, the burden that's on their shoulders, but because so much of our uh, livelihood is dependent on their, uh, on their good, good or bad decisions. So God helps Ahab be, as a way to show mercy and kindness to the rest of the nation. And that is a great, now there are other implications of this battle um, some political things and uh, working between nations that we probably don't want to get too much into today. Uh, but 
uh, verse, uh, chapter 21 is such an interesting story that we have to mention it before we go forward. So 1 Kings chapter 21, uh, we are introduced to a guy named Naboth. And Naboth, here it says in uh, 1 Kings 21, verse 1, after these things that uh, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? Uh, the guy's got a vineyard, he's got a little garden, and it's productive, no doubt. And uh, so Ahab sees it right next to his palace, and he says, hey, I'll pay you. No problem. I'll, I'll, I'll pay you for that vineyard, and uh, I'll get you a better one down the road. And uh, it's just because it's right next to my palace that, uh, that I'd like to, to keep that for myself. Uh, but verse 3, Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So um, Naboth understands something that Ahab doesn't get here. He says that this has been, this is a, an inheritance that has been passed down to me throughout generations of my, my lineage and my family. And he says, I, you couldn't pay me five times worth, ten times it's worth. It's, it's worth more than that. It's not just a field to me. It's not just a field of vegetables. This is my family inheritance. There is something here much bigger than just dirt and vegetables. And so he's, he says Naboth, uh, Naboth is, is resisting against Ahab. You're, you're not going to take this. <laughs> so here we go. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased. Because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. He said no. Poor little boy. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He laid down on his bed. Oh, he tur turned away his face and would eat no food. What a pathetic little temper tantrum from the king of Israel. He kind of reminds me of that North Korea guy. <laughs> <laughs> not far. Not far. Um... So in this uh, in this terrible state of self pity, you want to let her out? She probably wants to go. In this terrible state of self pity, look, men should not act like this. Can I be real with you? Men do not need to act like this. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help the situation. All it does is make you look pathetic and weak. All right, and, and women too. Why? Why should I say just men? Women too. Anybody. Um, anybody who acts in, in a way like this does not produce anything good out of it. All right, so verse 5. Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? Um, she, she's, she looks at him, takes one look, and says, Quit being such a wuss, dude. Right? Uh, sometimes we need people like that in our lives. He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you. And he answered, He answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, 
Well, okay, so one other thing to note here. Be careful who you take advice from when you're in the state of self-pity. Because Jezebel comes in, takes advantage of the situation, and tells Ahab to do something wicked. So she says, you will exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth. She wrote letters name, sealed them with his seal. All right, so we're back to, again, Jezebel here, who manipulates the situation to take advantage of it. This is the spirit of, of Jezebel. Uh, and what that is, is she uh, is a usurping power. She takes what, what authority does not really belong to her, and she writes letters in Ahab's name. And the letter was basically um, a death warrant, right? Proclaim a fast, seat Naboth with high honor among the people. Seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear against him, saying, You've blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him, that he may die. Now this, this incident is what seals the fate of Ahab. Now we, we look at this and we condemn Jezebel because, yeah, that's pretty wicked. But when God looks at this situation, um, yes, of course, Jezebel did some wickedness here. But... The responsibility for who is going to be judged for this wickedness actually falls on Ahab. And if you look at verse uh, 17, the Lord speaks to Elijah, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, the one that he stole, the one that he, uh, the owner that he killed. And thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick your also. All right, so uh, we're going to shorten that by uh, uh, ending the story there, but an incredible truth. So we learn a couple of major important things. Number one, inheritance is important. With Inheritance is more important than political power. Uh, the other thing we learn here is that uh, being sullen and downcast and pity parties um, they, they do not lead to anything good. Uh, Ahab could have dealt with that a whole lot better. Thirdly, we see Jezebel will take advantage of the pity party. Jezebel will take advantage and she will, and, and God holds Ahab responsible for this, which is very, very interesting. Okay, so we're going to jump now to the book of Acts, book of Acts chapter 12. We've been reading a lot. For the last few weeks in our church, I've been preaching, seems uh, uh, quite a bit, out of the book of Acts. And um, I think we need another book of Acts movement in our country. Yes? She's weird. Acts 12. Verse, uh, I wanted you to think that was him. Oh, she's doing sound effects. Okay. Oh, yes. So, we're going to pick up again. This is uh, right after our story from yesterday that I preached on last night. If you want to get some more insight, Acts chapter 12, you can go back and watch the message from last night, our midweek recharge service. Uh, but immediately after this uh, amazing story, we have this little tidbit that uh, we're including in our Bible reading today. Acts chapter 12, verse 20. Now, remember, 
who was persecuting the apostle, the apostle Peter? It was King Herod. King Herod, right? He was the king of Jerusalem. And uh, not a nice guy. He, was, he killed Jesus, you know. He was persecuting the church and uh, killing Christians and um, winning political points with the Jews. So God, God gets to the point, and you know, Lord help us. I, I think there's always, at some point, there's a line that we cross. You know, there is a line that can be crossed where God says, nope, no more. And uh, at this point, Herod has crossed that line. Now, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, nobody knows where the line is, thank God. But he is merciful. God moves the line for most of us and helps us and shows us mercy and grace. But uh, for Herod, he crosses a line and God says he can't take it anymore. Watch this. Verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord. And having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace. Because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So, on a day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. He must have had a very powerful speaking voice. And then, when they started saying these things about him, He's a god, he's not a man. Then immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God and, watch this, <laughs> he was eaten by worms and died. I know, isn't that gross? Ugh, he was eaten by worms. So what's weird about that is that being eaten by worms is not something that happens instantly. So he'd been having, it was some bad meat he had, I think. Yeah, so this... <laughs> I mean, this is a real thing that, that happens to people yeah. in the ancient world. Especially, you would have no idea, but probably there was a a, a whole culture of uh, infestation, like in his gut. I'm having a few cramps here. <laughs> okay, so my mother is a registered nurse. Can, oh dear. So can you shed some light on this story for us and tell us exactly what you think the medical prognosis was? What kind of worms he had? I no, have no, no idea. No, no. What? Give us a case of how this happens. Oh, you eat contaminated food that is contaminated with like the larvae of these worms, and it is a perfect. Uh, if they can make it through the, your stomach, which got has hydrochloric acid, uh, it's a it's a worm fest in there. So, you know, if they're in egg form, they probably could make it through your stomach. And so then they have, it's a warm, dark, moist, very nutritious, lots of food and stuff coming through. Worms like that stuff. Worms <laughs> do. So, yeah. So, so, but what's interesting to me about all of this is that this, this was not an instantaneous thing, right? So He'd been having... He'd been having some cramping for yeah. a while. So, I mean, it, this probably would have been a, a years, right? Oh, yeah. For it to get to the point that it bursts out of his gut like that. That would be disgusting. Yeah, so this, this is something that takes years in the making. But, so what's interesting is that God has been preparing this judgment for Herod the whole time. 
right? God yeah. has been preparing the judgment. And right at the moment that it needed to be executed is when God does that. So they're calling him a God, and all of a sudden he explodes and worms come out. Yeah, that makes quite a statement, doesn't it? Well, you know that song, <laughs> Great Green Gobs. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, so, um, so uh, why? Why is God going to do this? He was eaten by worms and died. But verse 24 but the word of God grew and multiplied. Yahoo! Okay, so that is just a little microcosm of the, the, the kingdom of God, right? So when uh, evil men do evil things, they think that they can affect the world for their own personal and selfish purposes. But through it all, God takes the good, he takes the bad, puts it together... And causes his word to grow and multiply. So the Herods of the world that think that they are going to win over, uh, they ultimately are going to fail in that purpose. Mm -hmm. God's word is always going to abide. Mm -hmm. All right. And so from here, we're going to start looking at Paul's missionary journey, starting with chapter 13. It starts to get real exciting. So, uh, But we are going to go ahead and close it off for today. I uh, hope you all have a wonderful Thursday. And uh, we'll meet you back here tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, for Bible and Brew. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mom. Hey, thanks for putting up with me, everybody. <laughs> All right, and we will talk to you soon. Have a good day, guys.